Thank you, Jesus. I got something <laughs> from Miss Norma. Share with you. <laughs> she sent me a bunch of jokes. <laughs> I thought this one was pretty good. Three boys are in the schoolyard bragging about their fathers. The first boy says, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem. They give him 50 bucks. The second boy says, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a paper. He calls it a song. They give him 100 bucks. <laughs> the third boy says, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon. And it takes eight people to collect all the money. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Norma. (laughs) Glory to God. Praise you, Jesus. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gorgeous spring day. Thank you for all your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for all the things you are birthing in our hearts and minds. Thank you for the precious seed of your word. The word of God, which is powerful unto salvation for those of us who believe. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the faith to believe and to receive our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, unto everlasting salvation. We glory in your name, Lord, and we just thank you for today. We thank you for the anointing that rests on me and on your word. And thank you for using me today to be a blessing to everyone who hears this message here and in other places. I just want to thank you to Frankfurt, Germany. Thank you to those of you in Canada and in Switzerland and all over the United States. San Angelo, a special hello to you. Love you, brother. Uh, Chicago. As Dallas, so many places, Cyprus, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm praying for all of you, and many, many more. I always forget, in Jesus' name, amen. There's a, the last book in the Old Testament, and you don't have to go there, but it's called Malachi. It's a very short book of the Bible, and the prophet... He prophesied to Israel. Most people know Malachi because preachers use it to uh, collect their offerings all the time. You're robbing God. You're going to pay it one way or another. You're either going to give it to God or the transmission is going to come out of your car. You're going to pay it in doctor bills. I've heard all kinds of stuff. All that's nonsense. That's like, that's like praying to the Godfather instead of Father God. <laughs> but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If, if you, God has a spiritual laws at work to get things to us, and you need to learn about the laws of sowing and reaping. It applies to every area of our lives. But Malachi prophesied to Israel. I love the book of Malachi and all that part about the, the offerings and things. It's just. To me, it just pulls at my heartstrings. It's about a God 
who loves a people crying out to them and saying, listen, why have you turned away from me? Look, just try me and just watch how good I am. You know, and it just, oh, just last night reading it just made me cry where other people see demands being made of them and trying to get their money from them. He's like, no, I don't need your money. I need the seed so I can open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. But when Malachi prophesied, The last words of the Old Testament. Hmm? A promise of God. And to save time, I'm not going to go there. But it was a prophecy. You can read Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And in the end, he's prophesying about what we now know is the direct link to the coming of John the Baptist. Huh? And then of, of Jesus Christ, our Messiah, Lord, and Savior. And then that blank page in your Bible between Malachi and Matthew, that represents 400 years of silence from God. They didn't hear anything from him for 400 years. The Israelites, who were the chosen people of God, through whom God would introduce himself to the world. They had lots of wonderful things. They had the temple, all the things that pointed to Jesus. They had the old covenant, the prophets, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They had Psalms and Proverbs. They had lots of wonderful things from God. But they weren't really faithful in waiting for the coming Messiah, especially during this 400-year period, there wasn't a lot of hope amongst the Jewish people. There was a lot of religion, uh, but not too many people really seeking God. The Romans had dominated the nation of Israel. The religious leaders were more carnal and corrupt day by day. But then the prophecy was fulfilled. And John the Baptist did come onto the scene finally. And right after him, or he was Jesus Christ, his cousin was born three months after him, right? So, and then, but anyway, his ministry didn't start until he was 30, you know? And some believe that John the Baptist's entire ministry only lasted maybe about nine months. And Jesus, we know, lasted three years, three and a half years. But Jesus' life, his resolve, remember what we were talking about last week? Something that I has been on my mind and heart and God's been talking to me about for several years now. The resolve, the determination of Jesus. He talks about in Luke 9, 51, as the days came near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had great resolve, great determination, even knowing the terrible things that were going to beset him. He would not be moved from fulfilling his purpose, his destiny. He had this persistent dedication to do God's will for his life. So the creator of all life, Jesus Christ, came to save the world, and then they didn't recognize him when he came, for the most part. 
Because they had failed to keep an eternal perspective. Something I've been talking about. And the Lord is persistent about. And He is telling ministers around the globe this, finally. I've been getting 911 in my spirit for a dozen years now. Not to scare us, but to prepare us. The Lord is coming soon. And that should be good news to anyone who really loves the Lord. But the Israelites were more concerned with the carnal, the temporal things of this life, the cares of this life and of this world. And so they had lost sight of the things that really mattered. Two times in the New Testament, Jesus, it is said that Jesus marveled. There was the word marveled at something. You know what it means to marvel. It's like an amazement, like this, wow, you know. Mark chapter 6, if you turn there real quick, I'll show you the first one. Mark chapter 6, Jesus was in his hometown. Nazareth, and he had begun his ministry and he was doing wonderful things. People had heard about him. And he was, we know in Acts chapter 10, it tells how Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with power and with the Holy Ghost, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus was doing great things. He went to his hometown in chapter 6 of Mark, and I'll just read starting at the first verse. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So so far, so good, right? <laughs> Proper response. But then, like this, how the devil creeped in. Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. And, and they took offense at him. They started looking at him in the natural. They started, they, 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 they couldn't get past the, how they had seen this kid grow up. And he, he's the one that wouldn't stay out of my rose garden. He's the one that... <laughs> Threw that rock and broke my window out, you know. Jesus was just a boy, you know. He It wasn't like, uh, Jesus, will you get that down off that top shelf? No, it wasn't like that. He became a, a human being in every way. He had to learn everything. There's no... No place in the Bible where it shows he did a single miracle before he was baptized and baptized in the Holy Ghost in the Jordan River at the age of 30 by his cousin, John the Baptist, who we just mentioned. Nevertheless, um, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Familiarity breeds contempt, folks. And he could not he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. 
And so one of the things he marveled at was the unbelief of the people. Now turn, let's look at the other side of that coin. Look in Matthew. Go back a couple of a book or so. Matthew chapter 8. And we'll find the other time. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. This is the faith of the Roman centurion soldier. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. He marveled at the Israelites, this Nazarene's unbelief, and he marveled at the centurion soldier. What even one of the Jewish people had his great faith. He saw, he used, just like Jesus did parables, he used natural things to describe spiritual truth. And this centurion saw that. He understood how in the natural that authority worked for him with his soldiers. Do this or else, you know. He knew the power he had just because of his position, his rank, his title. And he realized this about Jesus. He may not have understood it completely, but he realized there was a spiritual realm element at work. And he saw how it worked and he said... He applied those same natural truths to the spiritual reality. And Jesus said, wow, that's awesome, basically. And it was. And that's what all of them should have been doing. They should have had that spirit. They should have been having a spiritual and eternal perspective. And they would have been lots better off, wouldn't they? Jesus had a great relationship with the Father. He knew that the Father loved him. He knew he had a purpose. He was kingdom minded. He was here to help. But people were more interested in worldly things than the. They wanted the natural help, the instant help, the political help. The military help. Huh? The provisional help. Than the eternal help that he came to provide them with. The forever help. And it hasn't changed much. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. Verses 37 through 39. 
Matthew 24, verse 37 through 39. Jesus said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He said, when I come back, it's just going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Anything wrong with eating and drinking? Getting married? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now that is pretty... That should be a wake-up call. Those are the words of Jesus. He said, when I come back, it's going to be just like it was then. Things were actually pretty wonderful then, except everyone was just sinful and carnal. They was all about themselves. All about their own, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Every sin fits into those three categories. Anything they could find, it, it had to, you know, if it, was, if it was good for them, they did. And the, the world was wonderful. It was green everywhere. You know how I know that? Because there was a built-in sprinkler system. You understand, before the flood, it had never rained in the world. Never rained. A mist came up out of the ground and watered everything. So Noah, he built this boat, the ark, on dry ground. It wasn't at the port. It was on dry ground and no one had ever seen a need for a boat. And so you think they scoffed at him a little bit? He preached that this was going to happen the whole time he was building that boat. That took about 120 years for him to build the ark. Uh-huh. That's amazing, huh? How about the fact that he was about 500 years old when he started building it? <laughs> But the fact that he believed God condemned the entire rest of the world. The righteousness of that one man who believed God condemned everyone else and the flood came and it was too late. It was too late then for them to repent. They should have listened before. They should have gained an eternal perspective. God says, the whole time of human history, He said, you could, you could tell that I'm here just by looking around at the things I've made. Mm-hmm. You know? Now look at everything we have to believe. Mm-hmm. Jesus has already come. The things that all the prophets and everyone talked about and pointed to in the Old Testament and longed to see, we have. Yeah. Hebrews 2 Verse 3 says, How 
shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto them by us, by them that heard him. So great a salvation. He was talking, he was comparing the old and the new covenants and saying that that the old covenant came through a mediator, was given by Noah, but, but, but grace and truth came through the Son of God himself. And it said, if they perished who didn't follow the old covenant, how much more we who have been given all these wonderful things and have more reason to believe and more access to the real truth than anyone ever had before. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 Three, faith, hope, and love. These three, three things remain. And the greatest of these is love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So, I want to talk. There's these, these three great abiding realities of the Christian faith. Things that are forever true. Forever real. Everything else, even if it's good, temporarily in this life, isn't permanent. The things that are, are faith, hope, and love. We hear a lot of teaching about love. Because we need to, frankly. Without love, nothing else matters. It says you can give all you have. And offer up your body to be burned. And if you don't, if it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. So love is the is the essential thing. God is love, and and unfortunately, people tend to if you you can preach love in a religious way that is legalistic. You need to love God more. I'm trying, and you'll never be able to. It'll drive you from Him. You need to focus on His amazing love for you. Because you can't give away what you don't have. And he's the source of all true love. And so when you overflow with the knowledge, the understanding, the belief, the relationship with God. Knowing that he just loves you. And you stuck with him. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it. Because you've believed in Jesus. Then it will cause you to be confident. To to, to love others with the love you've received. So love is imperative. And there's also a lot, thanks, thankfully, at least in evangelical circles, spirit-filled churches, there's a lot of teaching on faith. And that's good as well, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that, right? But we, we all need to understand that third element of hope. It's something that we need to take hold of ourselves. It's necessary to have hope in order to maintain our faith and love. Without hope, 
our faith, it said that we got, we're in leaky vessels. Our faith will leak out without hope. And our love will fail. You say, well, it says love never fails. Let me put it this way. Our love will wane. So hope is essential to live the Christian life to the fullest. Where there's life, you've heard the saying, where there's life, there's hope. Well, the true same thing can be said where there's, where there's hope, there's life. Perhaps the saddest condition in a human life is hopelessness. It's the most awful thing that you can witness. Uh, I've seen it uh, in many folks. Uh, I've seen it in people in prison. I've seen it in people in uh, who were seemingly very successful and wealthy. I've seen it in people who were sick. I've uh, experienced it in my own life. So I'm aware of this devastating, debilitating thing called hopelessness. And I think it's the worst thing about a human uh, condition that, that can be. It's very sad. And it's a terrible thing to take hold of the human soul. You don't ever want someone to be hopeless. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and the King James Version. Whenever I don't feel like the one I use here is the English Standard Version most of the time, whenever, and then I, I look at a lot of different versions of scriptures often, and when I don't feel like any of them are really sure, I always go back to the King James. <laughs> because the good thing about the King James, even though it was uh, theatrical Elizabethan English, when they didn't understand the thing or it didn't seem right, they didn't try to fix it. They just interpreted it the way it was, the best of their ability. So, anyway, First Thessalonians, back there with all the five T's in a row, guys. First <laughs> um, <clears throat> Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, We give thanks... To God always for you all. This is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica. And he's bragging on them. He says, we, we give thanks to God for all of you. Making mention of you in our prayers. How you, uh, that's the best gift you can give somebody. Pray for them. Amen? Amen. He said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Your labor of love. And your patience of hope. There's those three items. You see that? They're all in there. It's just like when you find a scripture with all the members of the Trinity listed. You need to take a close look at that. It's like they're jealously all trying to get involved and say, Hey, 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 mention me in that. Faith, hope, and love right here. Without ceasing, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. So, first of all, we see through this this scripture that faith produces actions, right? He says your work of faith, it produces hard, sacrificial work on behalf of other people. True love does, doesn't it? It's sacrificial, it's not self-serving. 
Your hope produces patient steadfastness or endurance or perseverance. These things that I'm talking about, Jesus, how he set his face. He was determined to fulfill his purpose in God. And we're looking at the life of Jesus leading up to Resurrection Sunday because he's our greatest example. And the reason that God doesn't want us attached to the things of the world and to be spiritually minded and to be eternally minded is because all of this stuff is passing away, folks. And everything that God has is way more beneficial than any temporal thing that we think or made up our minds that is going to be make us more happy here. You see? Because it's all passing away. So this perseverance. And really the only way to persevere, you understand what perseverance is, is to be... To have this steadfastness, to make up your mind, have this great resolve. And in the Christian life, the only way to to, to get better at persevering is just to persevere. <laughs> That's the only way. There's no microwaving. That Galatians five five for we through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, wait. For the hope of righteousness by faith. So we're waiting for this promise of God. Of this eternal life. Of this, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that we have become. And we wait for this hope that we have. And we wait for it by faith. And in James 2.26 he reiterates, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Right? So hope is essential. So how can we have this true abiding hope in our lives as Christians? Well, first of all, the new birth produces it in in Christ. Nicodemus was a, a good man according to worldly standards. I do the air quotes because he was, by all accounts, he was a decent Man, he was a religious leader of the day in Jesus' time, but he came to him at night, didn't he? Remember in John chapter 3? And uh, he tells him, we know you're from God. Well, right there, he, his ship, ship was sunk. I'm not saying, I don't know what his outcome was. Listen, I, I pray he became a believer and a follower. Hopefully he did. You know, if it was all based on... During Jesus' life, then all of his brothers would have went to hell. But we know that some of them were martyred uh, for their faith, right? So that's a good thing. So we don't know the outcome of these guys. But I'm saying, at that moment, Nicodemus had, God had caused him to say something out of his mouth that he couldn't take back. If you know he's from God, then why are you coming to him at night to hide? Because you got the fear of man, you see? Jesus said, are you ashamed of me? I'll be ashamed of you. First Peter 1, verse 3. said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's awesome. That's what He told Nicodemus. He said, Unless you're born again... Matter of fact, he interrupted some speech Nicodemus was trying to give him. And he said, listen, unless you're born again, 
you can't see the kingdom of God. And so Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercies, caused us to be born again to a living hope. There that is again, that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, we have a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the basis of all true hope, the cross of Calvary, folks. Psalm 23, I love, I love going back there. Every time I feel like I'm just off a little bit. Maybe I'm getting frustrated or angry or, or disappointed or just whatever it is. And I reckon, whoa, i got to put a bridle on this horse because that, that's not of God. And I recognize it, my lightning fast mind, after a couple of days of, I thought you were laughing, Sam, you're just choking on your coffee, that's good, okay, be healed in Jesus' name. Alright, you weren't laughing at my lightning fast mind. Anyway, I go to Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He maketh me to lie down in green pasture, leave me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And I go back to him and I claim that. I speak it to him and I said, I'm here, Lord. I'm here in the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. I love you, Lord, and I need to reboot. I need to recharge. I need you to restore my soul, my mind and will and emotions. Get me back in line with the word of God. Amen. Help me to get into agreement with you and put off all this nonsense to cast my cares upon you for you care for me. He says, you made a good choice, son. Amen. There you go. Let's get her done. Huh? Is he faithful or what? (laughs) Again, Peter, 1 Peter 1, 13, 10 verses later, he said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. What the heck? Here we go with the King James again. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind. We talk about all the time. Renew your mind through the washing of the water of the word. Get rid of all the stinking thinking put in there by the the world. Have you tried to watch a show on TV lately or anything? A movie? Are they by law... Forced to include every woke talking point in every show now? Because it's all in there. So I know we're talking this morning. It's crazy. And it's so obvious. My wife was like, you know, come on. My wife told me this. She goes, I don't mind a woman uh, hero or, you know, or, and definitely we have nothing against anyone of color. And we don't hate gay folks. We hate the sin. We love the sinner. But my goodness, every show and every man's a misogynist, ignorant pig. And the women are all brilliant and so downtrodden. And, and now they're reigning supreme. And, and then if there's a family in there or two, then one of the kids has to be making up his mind which uh, gender he's going to be. And if there's another family, they have to be uh, two moms or two dads. I mean, it's like, okay, <laughs> you got to get it all in there in every show? Is that is that into your contract? 
It's like, it's just, and my wife is just like this. Like it's become, it's so contrived, it's so forced that it's just ridiculous now. I mean, if that was just the natural occurrence, I mean, this woman turned out to be the great Joan of Arc, then awesome. Let's let's watch the show. But hey, don't you know? You don't have to remake the Ghostbusters. It was a great movie with uh, Dan Aykroyd in there. <laughs> I don't know where I went. I don't know what happened. Pray me back in. Reel me in. Okay, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So you gird up the loins of your mind. You prepare your mind. Be sober-minded. And hope to the end. Hope to the end. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ at his return, you see. So it's just telling us we have to hold on to this hope all the way until the end. It's not a once and done, you know. That's 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 a sad case. I, I never want to see that in anyone thinking, oh yeah. I took care of that a long time ago, talking about their salvation, and then they've never had any time with the Lord since, you know. And sometimes it was when they were a baby. <laughs> you know? That's you know, that joke. It's like, did you, you got baptized when you were a baby? Yeah, well, I was so young. I don't really remember. I was just a baby. <laughs> Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Our hope. There's this hope again. This eternal hope. This resurrection life. This new body that we're believing for. This eternal salvation. This life forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. The wonderful things He's prepared for us. This blessed hope about the resurrection that we're going to be a part of. So we need to hold on, to maintain, to be steadfast until the end is what He's encouraging. Until the end, He's talking about the resurrection of the dead, the return of Jesus Christ in glory. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the conquering King, our brother, our friend, our high priest forever. Amen. So, what's the difference in faith and hope? Or what's the relationship between faith and hope? Here's, here's a little tidbit help you. I like things that help me remember things. Faith is in the present. Hope is in the future. Hmm? That'll help you. If you put that, tuck it away. Hebrews 11, verse 1 3. The great faith chapter, right? Let's go to the King James. Now, faith is the substance. Faith is a substance, not just a theory or a doctrine. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report. 
Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So hope that is real ultimately has to be based upon faith. You can't can't separate these three items, these three eternal faith, hope, and love. Real hope has to be based in faith, and faith is based in the eternal, unseen reality of God's Word. So, hope is based on faith. I like to say it like this. Hope gives our faith a target. You heard me say that before? So, without hope, really, you can't put your faith to work. To do anything. It's like, it's like hope is a goal and your, your, your faith is the employee that's going to get that job done. Amen. And bring you the check for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to just give you natural examples to help you understand some spiritual truth because a lot of people don't really ever go into the difference in what the, you know, faith, hope, and love. Yeah. But hope is essential. But faith and hope are different. And we don't want to confuse them because God, see, God has promised results of faith which He has not promised to hope. You understand? So, I don't want you just to blend them in because they're closely related. Because without faith, it's impossible to put. And he just says, by faith, these people were credited with righteousness. By faith, they got all these things. You see, faith is the hand that reaches out and obtains the things provided by grace. So it's 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 the action thing. It's the right now thing. Hope. Is the thing that we're believing for. That we can see with our godly imagination. Not a worldly imagination. Not a vain imagination. So hope is only valid when it's founded in faith. And faith is based on the word. So the ultimate basis of hope and faith is the word of God. We can never get away from the word of God. If someone says they have hope, and you see this a lot. I mean, they may have hope according to worldly standards or worldly definition. But true Christian hope is only real or true when it's based on the Word of God, when it's based on faith, which comes from the Word of God. So faith in the Word of God. huh? Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. Because I've, I've, I've told a lot of people, hey, you know, God wants you well. I hope so. Do you think that's real hope? That's wishful thinking, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not criticizing. I mean, right. we've all done it. <laughs> yeah. I try not to talk like that or think like that anymore because now I know the, the truth. You can't unscramble these eggs once you, once you find the truth. And you can get so full of the truth 
that you can't hardly stand to hear the lie anymore. That's why it's so hard to listen to the old station or to watch the old shows. It's like, ah, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. You know? And Christians need to stand up and stand up for, for God. You know? I heard somebody say yesterday that these people are plastering all over social media to, to stand with Ukraine. And he says, most of you that are saying, go stand with Ukraine, won't even stand for your children at the school board. <laughs> so easy to stand. Say stand with someone half half a world away when you really have nothing to lose. But what about right here in our midst, in our local communities, and and our local governments, and the school boards, and the local judges, and all that, all the way up to the White House? I mean, my goodness, look at this craziness! It's just just seems like candid camera to me. I keep waiting for. Some people don't even know, know what that is, probably. But <laughs> uh, the only kind of hope that has God's guarantee of fulfillment is a confident expectation of good from God. That's the definition that I like to use. It's a confident expectation of good from God, founded in faith in the Word of God. So the ultimate focus of all true hope is the return of Jesus Christ in glory. That's, that's the basis of everything we hope for. And the fact that He rose from the dead and that He's coming back for us again makes all the other... And believing that and having our hope in that and eternity with Him and changing in this old body for an incorruptible one Based on those, that hope, we can use our faith to believe everything else that he said here on our behalf. All these 8,000 or so promises, we can release our faith to bring those into play right here in the sweet now and now where we can benefit from them while we're waiting on our blessed hope of his return. Amen. Amen. I use this scripture in Titus. Chapter 2, verse 11, a lot, to talk about how faith is essential that, you know, there's, there's universalism out there now. It's a big thing where, cause, because there's no requirements of you. There's no challenges or convictions in universalism, church. It's just about grace. It's all grace. You see? But without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then grace doesn't do you any good. And I use this scripture in chapter 2 of Timothy. I mean, Titus. Timothy, Titus is next. Okay. 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, (coughs) bringing salvation to all men. Or the King James says, the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. Are all men saved then? They are not. Because it requires a response on the hearer's part of faith, doesn't it? That faith response is required. So I use this scripture a lot to show that 
faith is essential in the life of a Christian. But I want to read all the way down through the 13th verse. So the grace of God is what he's talking about. That's the subject matter. And then in the 12th verse, it says, training us to renounce. So grace is the teacher here. Grace teaches us or training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And again, look at this 13th verse. No one, I, no one ever goes this far. So I use 11 and 12 to teach that faith is essential and, and that grace is not just a license to sin, but it's a teacher and an instructor to help us, uh, to empower us and to teach us how to live godly, upright lives in this present evil age. So, but the 13th verse is one you never hear preached. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You notice Paul calls him God? Thank you, Jesus. He's right to do so. (laughs) Hallelujah. Notice Paul called him God. I love that. One of the biggest things in in, in Islam is that they say that Jesus wasn't God. Well... That's, that's all that the New Testament talks about. <laughs> it's all the Old Testament points to. So you have to pray for people that don't believe or don't have the ability to see because they're getting converted by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. And someone that zealous for religion, if they get freed of that religion and become real believers, they can be very powerful for the kingdom. So notice that grace trains us, teaches us, instructs us. Grace, so grace has a, a sort of authority to teach us how we ought to live, right? People, oh, I don't like, I don't think there was any standards anymore or anything. Nobody wants to be told what to do. And it, legalism will sort of beat you over the head and just like the Ten Commandments hanging on your living room wall, I don't recommend it really. Because it's what the enemy uses to show you everything you ever did wrong and remind you. So we don't need that anymore. See, Jesus nailed that to the cross with him. Now we have his law of love written on the tablets of our heart. And if you walk in in true love, agape love, then you'll exceed those, those commandments. Not live below them. Nevertheless... First John 3, verse 2 and 3. This one I took from the Berean Study Bible, which you may not be familiar with. But he said, Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. So first of all, What comes from this blessed hope is this confidence and this excitement and this perpetual longing and looking forward to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, all beginning from the cross to the resurrection, His enthronement, and His promise of His return. But it also teaches us and it causes us to purify our own self because He says everyone who has this hope in Him, which... Hopefully all of us do. It says purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 
So everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. So the hope leads to godly living, is my point. That's what the Bible says. If we're really not just having wishful thinking, but if our hope is truly in God, and our faith is too, it will be because of the love that we have for Him based on the love that He's expressed toward us. So all of those things working together will cause us to want to live a life of purity. Not because people are making demands of us and got a whip to our backs. Do good, get good. Do bad, get beat. No. Nothing we can do to earn His favor or our salvation, but it will cause us to desire to be thinking that He's returning at any moment. It should get us very excited. And it definitely doesn't make you want to go out and sin, does it? If He's coming today, folks, let's just say, if He's, if he's, if he's coming to dinner, are you going to run off and do your worst? You know, be like that junkie in the Uber, you know, take me to the rehab and he's shooting up all the way there to get that last fix. <laughs> These are real stories I hear, folks. I'm sorry, that was bad. Lastly, I've been talking about this eternal perspective, this living a life after the Spirit for a couple of weeks. This hope that we're talking about releases us. Here's another benefit from it. Now, uh, the purity aspect is a benefit too, folks. <laughs> but I don't think I'm trying to condemn anybody. just want you to think about it. Are you excited about His return? You should be. Just saying. But lastly, and this is a really a good one. This is one that we all need. Because I don't want anyone to be hopeless in this life. And especially a Christian, we should never be hopeless. Hope releases us from the bondage to time. Hmm? (laughs) Hope releases us from the bondage to time. We're no longer slaves of just a few mortal years of life. We have an eternal perspective. So the temporal things of life don't affect us the way that they do people who have no hope. Does that make sense? Because we're just, we're not going to ever taste death. We'll transition from this vehicle to a better one. In the blink of an eye. And that's a good thing. I'm going to read this scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. My prayer is that everyone. Will be encouraged. And be strengthened in their hope and their resolve and their determination to 
know Christ and to be like Him and to be known by Him and to know Him better. Because grace and peace are multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, aren't they? And I want all of you to enjoy more grace and peace. Because that's really all you want. (laughs) That's all you need. And they only come from Jesus. So I'm not saying we don't need Jesus. 1 Thessalonians, however I said that, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, talking to all of us, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, who have passed on before us. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who died and went on before us, God will bring with him, talk, and see again, he's calling Jesus God. God will, because Jesus is the one coming back, right? God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, if you're still here when the rapture takes place, which Tavana is convinced that we're going together. And that's great. I'm all on board for that. But you know what? If we caught up in the rapture, we're going to see all those that have gone before us believing with Him. Huh? That's what they're saying right here. What a glorious day. Hallelujah. Can you imagine? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Hallelujah. Believers in Jesus Christ don't need to fall apart like a $3 suitcase every time things get tough. I mean, things are still going to hurt. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulations. There's going to be suffering in this life. We know that. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. We have hope in eternity. We're just here for a few brief years and then nothing bad happens. We transition to eternal glory. Hallelujah. When things go south, folks, we don't have to go with them. We can get a hold of these thoughts. The battlefield is between our ears. And if we will have an eternal perspective, keep our minds stayed on the Lord, He'll keep us in perfect peace. That's a promise from Isaiah 26.3, I think. People who have no hope in Christ have nowhere to, nowhere else to look. So they focus on the carnal, natural elements for this life. It's very sad. <laughs> That's why we want to share the good news, folks. 
We don't want anybody to be hopeless in this world. It's a terrible thing to witness. We definitely don't want to ever be hopeless. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We are the light of the world. We need to be shining brighter now than ever before because the world is sick and dying and it's being perpetuated and forced upon them in every area of this world. The church is the only hope the only beacon of light for this sick and dying world. We want to reach everyone with the good news of the gospel and pray that God reaches them. Once they have the faith that they need through the hearing of the word of God, then they have the power to believe unto salvation. And so once we minister or share our testimony, which might be the greatest sermon someone ever hears, God will work within that. Then you just begin to pray for them that He takes that seed and sends other people across their path. And you can be believing for salvation for your entire family, for all of your friends and all your co-workers and everyone in all the churches around town and everyone on the streets today and everyone out mowing their grass and hanging out by the pool and and, uh, at the beer store when you're on your way to church, huh? So just be believing because God is up to something and it's good. We have entered into the first phases of this third great awakening. And that's way better than revival. That's way better than revival because revival can affect a church and awakening will affect an entire nation. And that's what we've entered into. And it's going to be wonderful. Psalm 31.24, and I'm closing here, says to be of good courage. This is one of my icebox scriptures that went through when I was having my heart surgery. Be of good cheer, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Let me tell you, you can take God's God's word and you can use it for the natural, and you can use it for the spiritual. I know that He meant the heart as a spiritual thing, but I took it as a literal thing, and so did he. Amen? So we did both. Listen, our goal here, listen, I'm not going to limit God. I already told you all to start believing for the place of our own. And I've had it prophesied what it even looked like and stuff like that to me. But I never have been into building a kingdom unto myself. If you don't know that about me yet, I've never taken ownership of any of God's people or any of God's things or wanted things from it. But I don't want to put any limitations on God. But our goal is not necessarily to have the biggest church in town. I heard Mario Murillo say... Our goal is to deliver the most devastating blow to evil. I believe when we pray here, our prayers get answered. And we need to settle for nothing less. We need to rise up in faith and give our faith great targets of hope in the Lord. Amen? Amen? And walk in love because you need to know and you will know if you sit here under this teaching. Or you better get on to me if you don't. How much God loves you. Because I always want you to know that. We're founded in that. We're going to learn and be taught on a lot of things. And a lot of it will point to cause us to look at ourselves. And maybe ask God to help us to do better. But it's all based on His love for us. And not a condemning message. He loves us. 
in spite of us. He loves us not because we're lovely, but because Jesus is lovely. And everything Jesus did has been credited to your account. Amen. Amen. Because of your faith and trust in Him. He loves you. I love you. And I want you to go out and be a blessing. Give your faith a beautiful target for your godly imagination to work while we're waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Give the Lord a a shout of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you,